Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. And welcome back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. We are about halfway through the offseason program as we record this on a Tuesday morning. I believe next week, Chris, will be our first glimpse at the Colts uh, in a media viewing session. Rookie minicamp, obviously, this past weekend, but OTAs begin next week. And for vets, I think it's two weeks of OTAs. Minicamp, mandatory June 7th through the 9th or whatever that Tuesday through Thursday is. And then the vets will leave. The rookies and the young guys will stay for one more week, and that's it. Um, Obviously, the schedule announced. We'll unpack that on this podcast. Probably looking at a late July start to training camp based off where the first preseason game is for the Colts. Some joint practice news to touch on as well. I want to share some tidbits we learned in the Chris Ballard annual film session. So should be fun. Fun podcast, and as always, we'll do Twitter questions. Uh, how are you, man? I'm doing well. And uh, since this is a podcast and we don't have a, a visual as of yet, which could potentially come down the line, yeah, I want to touch on, obviously, the month of May in Indiana is huge because of the race. You guys will be covering that on your morning show yep, all yep. month. But as I look across, you have a 1967 Pacers hat on. Who is the autograph on that hat? Well, so I got this from... Uh, uh, doing the bowling thing earlier this year, were you? Did you see video of that? Happen to see when they yep. put me on the little saucer and Boomer <laughs> just fired me into the pins and let's just say that went a lot better than the old knockout for Kevin. <laughs> uh, a few half times later, uh, I believe it's Sabonis. Okay, on the hat. Um, I really like the hat. The hat's awesome. You know, I you know, and older me, I probably just you know the autograph. I don't know, maybe it sounds bad. It say it doesn't mean that much. The, the lottery's tonight. And Sabonis is representing the Kings. So it is kind of weird how that all has turned out. But, yeah, I got that on. I got my Greg Oden I was gonna t-shirt say, on. I was going to say Greg Oden, who's now with the Butler Bulldogs. Yeah, director of basketball ops. I yeah. think I got this at Edinburgh Outlet Mall. You ever shop there? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. That spot. Nike outlet is the place to go Dude. if you are in central Indiana. That's where I got it, right yeah. here, the Nike swoosh. So, so shout yeah. out to Greg Oden. I've, I kind of have a creepy stalkerish story on my end, me doing the stalking. <laughs> Of Greg Oden. I probably won't share it here on the podcast. We might save that for a, a summer one, though. But, yeah, I think I was in eighth grade. So I think I think you're still allowed to do that in eighth grade. But I'm sure there's a cutoff point that, you know, it gets a little dangerous there. But um, no, Greg I... and, and Mike Conley were both very, very friendly when I met him. And now I'm thinking to myself, God, I'm like two years apart from them. That is really weird that I did that. But No, I get it. I was the same way. After a Lawrence North game, I went down to it, – it was the fact that Greg Oden and Mike Conley – and shout out to uh, Kiefer, who just announced yeah, his retirement. Yeah, Kiefer, Captain Jack. The fact that you could go down, I had a T-shirt because they were going for a three-peat, and uh, I got I bought a T-shirt at the game, went down. They both autographed it. At the time, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got Greg Oden's autograph. Yeah. Looking back now, it's kind of funny to think, Mike Conley's autographs probably say, more. Conley's worth a whole <laughs> lot of a lot money more. there. But yeah, just wanted to uh, let the let the listeners in a little bit on uh, the attire that Kevin's going going through right now and how Indiana centric he is. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out tonight. Um, let's begin with kind of the big nightly news item from last week, and that was the NFL schedule release mm-hmm. on Thursday. Uh, we'll kind of unpack it. Just maybe just kind of go down the schedule in general. I don't know, break it up into quarters, if you will, but. What stood out to me 
just in chronological order. It's wild to think that you start this year's schedule with two road games versus two home games last year, and yet I sit here and think, what a much easier schedule to start the season than you had last year. You know, Davis Mills and Trevor Lawrence a little bit different than Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford. Correct. So, um, if you were going to list me like the 17 games last Thursday morning, say, pick two of the easiest on here. These two games, albeit on the road, would have been in the top five or six of games you'd want to see early on. So, golden opportunity, Chris, to take care of the week one drought and take care of the Jacksonville drought. Um, I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in jinxes. I don't believe in any of that bullshit. You just go out there and you play football and you and you win the game. So, those are my thoughts on, you know, people that are like, hey, don't talk about the weather for the Indy 500. I mean, screw it, you know? Yeah. Let's go. Well, um, so, we certainly hope that we win the first two, and I think it's pretty pivotal to win the first two. I would agree. Um, I would agree on that um, because the next three. Is it the toughest three-game stretch of the year? You could certainly make the argument that it is. Um, I also think something on the first two before we get into Kansas City, Tennessee, and Denver. Mm-hmm. Just, like, play from ahead. You know, when's the last time the Colts have gotten off to a nice start within the division, overall record, all of those things. Right. Um, I just think that would do wonders to this football team just with your psyche and all of that. And obviously would alleviate some of the pressure with, like you said, Kansas City. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Is it Kansas City and then it's at Tennessee? and it's We're, we're home with Kansas City, home with Tennessee, and then and at, at Denver. At Denver on the short week? Yes. Do you worry about altitude on that short week? Playing in those elements? I mean, I worry about playing in the NFL any week, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't – I mean – on a short week, yes, they. I I have heard other players on on different podcasts and different radio shows and stuff say that it is a little bit different in Denver. But I don't know. At the maybe. same time, at the same time, you, you strap it up and you go out there and you play. Yeah, so if your scheme, sure. it, your scheme will outperform altitude. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I just wonder. Short week, I don't know. I probably have to look at like how has Denver performed on Thursday night football at home? You know, in their in their uh, history as a. Um, as a franchise, um, the Titans game in Week Four in Indy, and they and they still Denver. Sorry, to cut you off. No, they'll they'll still be learning each other as well. Certainly, new and, quarterback, new receivers. I mean, it's it's not like they might be hitting their stride at that point in the season either. You know, I think one thing to note is you've got some different coaching staffs early on. Obviously, Week One and Week Two, different coaching staffs. Denver, a different coaching staff. Mahomes getting used to life without Tyree Kill. Um, you know, for Tennessee in Week Four, their previous two games. At Buffalo and then Vegas, so they're going to come in here, you know, facing two pretty good teams. Now, yeah. you're going to see Tennessee again in Week Seven, and obviously, this divisional slate. You see all three divisional teams in the first four weeks. Five of your first seven against the AFC South. Tennessee has a bye before that Week Seven game against Indy. So that is something I think to note as well. I don't get why the NFL does this. Just front loads with all these divisional games. The Colts had it last year too. Mm-hmm. Like put one of these Tennessee games. In December. I think back to the later luck years, like you always had that marquee December game. It matters more. With Houston yeah. at the time. Like, I'm tired of seeing Jacksonville and Houston in week 18 for the Colts. Um, the Commanders, Mr. Wentz at 425. Mm-hmm. It's a 425 start. What do you think? Four like 33 start for the eight minute tribute video? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure later the t- earlier. Or you think eight I'm, minutes is pretty good. I'm sure that. the tribute's going to be a very long, a very long one for. Uh, you know, 
Mr. Ursay, Coach Ursay is what I like to call him. Coach Ursay, you know, he's been active on the plane. You could maybe splice all those together, maybe get Myra to, to you know, have an appearance. I believe she showed up in a couple videos ago. <laughs> a little singing as well to Carson. Oh, gosh, probably a, maybe a Bible verse or two. Maybe a Bible verse or two. I know Carson is not this type, but if I were Carson Wentz and I led my team to victory, I would walk off the field and I would go double birds right at the owner's box. You should do like the Baker Mayfield in uh, college where he just plants the flag in the middle Boom. of the <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if the commanders already have a flag made for their new nickname or what, but that's exactly what I would do. Um, you know, the other stretch that stands out to me, and calling this a stretch is, you know, when I hear stretch, I think of like three to four games. Mm-hmm. Chris, look at week nine through 16, which, again, is not a stretch. It's a long. Eagles, Steelers, at Cowboys on Sunday night football. We should mention Steelers is Monday night. Your bye week, latest bye in the NFL for the second straight year. At Vikings, Chargers. Chargers being Monday night football as well. Right. So, and you could probably go before that. Is before that Raiders... So yeah, you said week nine. That's week eleven. Um, but week yeah, so nine is that is that New England? Week nine is so it's New England Raiders, Eagles, Steelers, and then goes through what you you just mentioned. Yeah, and it's at Patriots and at Raiders. Right. right. I mean, holy shnikes. <laughs> that's so. Think about that. At Patriots, at Raiders, and correct me if I'm wrong. I should probably just pull up the schedule. No, you're fine. Eagles. Yep. Steelers on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Cowboys. They have a longer week. Cowboys because they have a. Thanksgiving before that. Right. Well, we all have Thanksgiving, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to play the game. At Cowboys, of course, Sunday Night Football. The bye week at Vikings Chargers. That is, you know, five playoff teams from last year, and I would say the Vikings just always lurk, and the Chargers certainly, I think, are Mm -hmm. knocking on the door. That is a – that's quite a two-month gauntlet. We're going to need that bye week on 14. You know, it might not be like I don't see a top-five NFL team. In that group, but I see a lot of teams kind of similar to the Colts, honestly. Um, so I think that is kind of a interesting little two-month span. And, of course, this is because you play five of your six divisional games in the first seven weeks and don't play another divisional game right. until week 18. Um, and then based on the schedule, depending on what Mr. Goodell wants to do, that Vikings game is to be determined because it could be flexed to a Saturday or Sunday. Right, Colts were flexed to Saturday last year with New England. Right, and then later, the last game of the year can also be flexed, and that's against the Texans, which hopefully we are not limping into a playoff. That's 1 o'clock. Spiro Ditas on the call. That's him and at 1 o'clock. That's what that is. (laughs) Two home Monday night games. You guys have heard me talk about it endlessly. Jim Mercer should be irate at the NFL. It's an absolute crime and a joke. The Colts have not been home on Sunday or Monday night uh, since 2015, uh, since the... Right. The miss fake punt game. <laughs> uh, just to reiterate, every team in the NFL, Chris, has had at least three home Sunday or Monday night games in that span. The Colts have had zero, and Jacksonville's had zero. When you're in the same company as of exposure as Jacksonville, yes, exposure could be taken a lot of ways with their old coach, but you know what I mean. Right. Television exposure, not necessarily hands going places that should probably be safe for behind a closed door. Um it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. You got to be pounding your fist at the owners' meetings, right? Yeah, like, and you know, Ursay's been vocal, and I, you know, I, I agree with him. I, you know, there's stuff I don't necessarily agree with him on, but I could not agree with him more on this. Uh, you think a couple of Manning cast games, Steelers, Chargers, yeah. and the Monday Nighters. I like those. I like, yeah. Um, it, 
So last year they didn't do a full season. They they right. took some and games off. Hopefully this year. And they bailed on the old Raiders. Yeah, and um, this year I uh, or Ravens. Yeah, this year I hope that uh, they get a full slate. Because I, I I honestly I do announce just ten. Okay. Again, I could be wrong on that. No, you might be. I mean, you you might be correct. I hope they um, keep those up because I honestly, not to take anything away from ESPN, I enjoy watching that over yeah. the main coverage. Now this year the main coverage is a little different. It is a little different, and then also you got the, Buck and Aikman, which I, I I'm, I'm a bigger fan than most. I think with that crew there, uh, the only weather worry mm-hmm. at the Giants on New Year's Day. Now you can make a nice trip out of that. You want to do New Year's Eve in Times Square? Get the oh yeah. Start ordering the diapers now to stand out there and watch that, and then slide <laughs> over to MetLife for the game. New Year's Day. You know, other things that kind of stood out to me, the AFC West is spread out. Remember, Gus Bradley comes from the AFC West. Right. Does that help you out there? The preseason schedule, it'll be at Buffalo. These are all Saturdays in August. Mm -hmm. At Buffalo the 13th, Detroit the 20th, Tampa Bay the 27th. Those last two games, Detroit and Tampa, will be at home. Joint practices with the Lions. So Dan Campbell and the Fighting Kneecaps will come to Grand (laughs) Park. You know, you kind of forget Dan Campbell was – interviewed for the head coaching job here uh, after Josh McDaniels right. left you at the altar. It was Leslie Frazier, mm-hmm. Dan Campbell, and Frank Reich. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see the uh, the content that you get if you're able to interview or be a part of – are, are you able to interview the opposing coach? During yeah, the, during the joint practice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I asked I him. mean, he's a soundbite, a walking soundbite. He is. <laughs> and I think, you know, I hate to, like, look forward to, like, one-on-one matchups too much, but Aiden Hutchinson against Bernard Ryman, that's what you want. You know, you, you, you certainly want to see that. Um, we'll get into this with Ryman here in just a second, but I told Matt Taylor to do this homework because he has access to much more <laughs> passwords and logins than I do. <laughs> Find me the last time a non first-round pick, started at left tackle as a rookie. I would be willing to bet it's quite some time. And also find me it injury-related, you know, non-injury-related as well. Um, so, yeah, I just think that's a big part of this offseason, besides a new quarterback, obviously a new defensive system as well. So, again, some schedule thoughts on that. Anything else before we move on to the Ballard film session no i thought it was a a little bit different i was talking to one of our engineers who typically travels to the games he was mentioning you know the whole preseason he's like yeah it's a little a little different that all the games are on saturday this year but i think we're just going to see the a certain standard of of scheduling as we move forward here in the next couple of seasons so again uh six takeaways on the colt scheduling find that on 107.5 thefan.com on friday chris bauer had his annual film Session it was a little shorter than he's done it in years past with rookie minicamp starting, but we pretty much saw the first four picks. Nick Cross was kind of a short uh, bit, but Alec Pierce, Bernard Ryman, and Jelani Woods flip Woods and Ryman around in order. But um, let's start with Pierce. Absolutely. Um, you know, Ballard initially shows IU film, a game that Ballard was at. He tries to get to an IU game a year, and Ballard's big thing is to his scouts. Tell me what they can do. Tell me if that can fit into our equation. Mm-hmm. Play to player strengths. You know, I, sure, you want to develop some, but like, what do they do well, and can we make that work? With Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, Ballard felt like there was a lot of routes, route tree stuff involved there 
shallows, sails, over routes that the Colts do. Um, so I think that was attractive to him. Loves the body control of Pierce. Loves the hands. Ballard was pretty adamant that he didn't see stiff on film with Pierce. It's kind of been a common negative on him. A little bit stiff in the lower body. Can you run a full route tree? You know, Ballard didn't see that. Um, you know, he mentioned that beating press coverage needs work. I go back to Deion Kane when he tore his ACL in 2018. That was the thing that Deion Kane was doing so well in Frank Reich's eyes, 2018-2019, I forget when Kane tore his ACL. But um, for a rookie, he was beating press coverage on a pretty routine basis, and that's really difficult to do there. Um, so, you know, Ballard is is a big fan. I think he would have had him slotted a lot higher in these wide-out tiers if you would have looked. I think you'd be surprised that to hear Ballard probably had Alc Pierce over a wide-out that was taken very you know, early in the draft. Um he, the Alabama game was interesting. He, he mentioned something, and I felt this watching the game. Um, certainly the first drive, Pierce had an opportunity to make a play, and Ritter overthrew him. Basically, Bowers said he had points in the game where he was wearing Alabama out, and they were just not getting him the ball. So you look at that game, I think he had two catches for like 18 yards, 17 yards. That's not going to impress you. But if you look at the film, there are opportunities for Cincinnati to make a play with Pierce, right. and they just couldn't get him the the ball. So. You know, by all accounts, a strong rookie minicamp for Pierce, and you know, as he should. You know, the Colts didn't draft the corner to the seventh round, and Pittsburgh State or somewhere else was their undrafted corner, and a kid from Germany. You know, playing in the secondary, so you would expect that. Um, but yeah, those were pretty much the the IU touchdown he showed. It's a game-winning touchdown, the eventual game winner, mm-hmm. and he gets pressed. But he does a nice job of not like getting pressed and gobbled up. You know, Bauer is pretty much saying sometimes you see wideouts that get pressed and they get jammed and they get pushed towards the sideline almost out of bounds and they're done. Right. Pierce was able to stay in play, able to stay in play enough where Ritter could throw him the ball kind of outside the numbers and make that play. And for IU fans or fans that watch that game, they will remember that touchdown. It was just a beautiful ball by Ritter and Pierce. He's just a natural, such a natural, gifted jumper, high point the ball, find the ball, and come down the field. Yeah. It's just a it's a rare trait. It's why he probably has so much volleyball background that he does, but he's extremely impressive at that. So, yeah, yeah. that was Alec Pierce. And if you watch uh, the Colts' Twitter account and uh, YouTube series, you'll know that then tight end Jelani Woods, Frank Reich, and Chris Ballard were happy to get those were the two names that they wanted. They got both. What did Ballard say about Jelani Woods? Yeah, loves him. Loves him, loves him. I think it's his favorite pick. Um, he went to the Pittsburgh-Virginia game this year, I would assume, to see Kenny Pickett. Uh, that was en route to going to Colts-Buffalo mm-hmm. that Sunday. So he drove out there. Um, and just his first thought was, you know, Mike DeReese and Morocco Brown, a couple of the Colts scouts, told him about Jelani Woods and Ballard. You know, I go back to something I think I mentioned on last week's podcast. When Ballard sat down with Frank Reich, when Reich took the job in 2018, the guy he talked about the most was Mo Cox on the roster. There's something about these big tight ends that mm-hmm. Ballard loves. So you know he was going to love Woods, given his frame. I think what took it to the next level was East-West Shrine game. Marcus Brady is Jelani Woods' head coach at that game. Clayton Adams, who's the Colts' tight ends coach, is the offensive coordinator for Jelani Woods, and they felt like he was super coachable. Super coachable. And I just 
think they feel like he's a little bit more of a fluid runner than Allie Cox. Just a little bit more of a natural athlete. Um, granted, he's been playing football for longer, so that shouldn't surprise too many people there. Um, so, yeah, they, again, are very, very high on him. They think he's extremely intelligent. And there was a comparison a little bit to, I think, of, we've talked about this, how I, I've come around so much, and I know some people make fun of it. I get Ballard's understanding with wanting to bet on the high-character guys. You don't need to have 53 choir boys, but the thought process is with the higher characters, they have an easier chance, better chance to achieve their floor. They're going to work to their floor. Now, can you get to the ceiling? That remains the question. But you know full well they're going to get to their floor. Yeah. There's not a, as much of a bust potential with them. Um, I could probably name some Ryan Griggs and draft picks that would fall into that area and you don't need me to <laughs> tell you them um so i think that is the line of thinking when i watch woods though i will say this chris i don't see a lot of like third and five put your foot in the ground super timing precision route running um, i think the colts realize he's probably not going to be a jack doyle type of just consistent dependable guy in that part of the field so i do think that'll be something to keep an eye on but there was one point where he's just showing clips of just Jelani Woods throwing dudes out of the club. I mean, I mean, six seven two fifty three. Yeah, you're, you're I, a man. I don't blame these DBs. <laughs> I felt bad for him. Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, and he's just sitting there with his clicker, being like, "You can see why I sweated this out." Uh-huh. And again, yards after catch, you can do it in a lot of ways. I don't feel like the Colts have tapped into that enough. Um, some of that is quarterback related, certainly, but Woods can help you out with that. Yeah, and in a league where it's a lot of speed. Sometimes it's nice to have a man over the middle that can just, like you said, throw you out of the club. Yeah, man, M-A-N, all caps, man. (laughs) And lastly on Woods, Chris, I do want to see him catch the football. You know, how natural is it? Is there some double catching? Um, There's a reason he fell to the third round. He's not a perfect prospect. Um, I don't think blocking is too much of a concern. I think he did that a lot at Oklahoma State, to be honest with you. But that is something that I think we just need to keep an eye on. All right, as we talked about earlier, let's get to offensive tackle. What Mr. Are your, Ryman? Mr. Ryman, what are your thoughts? What, what was, or not, I mean, well, you will give me your thoughts, but what was Ballard's thoughts on Ryman? Have we put the Ryman interview in one of these pockets? We, we should do that if we haven't already. Right? We've not. We should. I know yeah. we did the fickle one. I know he, uh, we did fickle. Yeah. I know he, he was happy to be a Colt. He said this is where he wanted to come. Now, naturally, a lot of players say that when they get drafted somewhere, but I truly felt like he was being genuine when he said he wanted to be a Colt. You know, I, I haven't come across a ton of foreign NFL players, but in my time covering the league for, I guess, now about a decade or about a dozen years, I just think the foreign players realize how great of a gift and how great of an opportunity they have because mm-hmm. the game is so – gosh, I'm so bad with words. I'm going to say foreign again. It's so foreign to them overseas. Right. Um, they're not used to this. The opportunities are not as endless in the game of American football as they are – seemingly here in the States. The Ryman one, he showed very little game film. A little bit of LSU, which I think was a big kind of like, all right, he can do it against this competition. Right. He really just showed a workout. It was the positional drills at the Western or Central Michigan Pro Day. They had another guy go early. Um, I forget who took him, but they they had another guy go. Um, But basically, Ballard watched that workout, and from a, I'm not describing it in the best way possible, but think like, very high-intensity yoga type of stretching and flexibility 
and core strength and how much power, you know, lunging type moves, those things. Basically, he saw some similar O-line freakiness to what he saw in the Braden Smith workout back at Auburn. Um, you know, at one point he's doing like these couple lunges in a row. I mean, he looks like a bunny rabbit, you know, just hopping around. And I say that because Rosie loves to hop like a bunny rabbit, uh, except he's 6'6 six, six and 3, whatever, 307, something like that. Bauer felt like arm length, age, only played left tackle for two years, probably reasons why he fell there. Uh, but again, the Colts feel like short arms can be made up for if you have elite footwork. Right. And they feel like that's where Ryman can kind of offset some things. Now, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier, Chris. You know, there's a reason why he fell, and there's a reason why we haven't seen guys in their the league in year one, especially someone that you know only started for two years at a max school at left mm-hmm. tackle and become immediate starter. So I think that is a question that you have there. Is it going to be Matt Pryor? Is it going to be Ryman? Does a loser of that have a chance to play right guard? You know, is Danny Pinter still in line there? You know, all of those things. I think it's kind of three guys for two spots is how I look at left tackle and right guard. Obviously, Pinter's not a candidate at left tackle, but I think the other two, Pryor probably more so than Ryman, mm-hmm. could be a candidate at right guard. So I heard the fourth one that we're going to get to and the last one for the Ballard updates, Nick Cross apparently asked for the playbook like day one. Like, like, let me see it. And I know the Colts were super stoked to go get this guy. Yeah, I know Ron Milas, their defensive backs coach, really liked him. Um, Big fan of Cross. And again, actions speak louder than words, guys. Ballard has never done anything like this in six drafts, trading a future third-round pick. Uh, to get a player that's not at a position of immediate need. Right. Now, again, wake-up call to Kari Willis and Julian Blackman, but we didn't get to see a lot of stuff from Cross, but we certainly saw some run-and-hit ability. I think Ballard's quote was, he has some real stuff about him. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, Woods and Cross are the guys that Ballard is just super, super intrigued by. And I do think there's an element, Chris, of, again, Gus Bradley's involvement. Mm-hmm. How do we see body types? How do we see skill sets turn over over the next couple of years? It's not... Going from, you know, who was the last defensive coordinator here? Ted Monachino. I'm trying to think who the last Chuck Chuck defensive coordinator was. Um, it's not going from a three four to a, you know, four three. But there are some changes there. Absolutely. That are definitely going to be different than um, than what you had in the previous regime. I always liked Monachino. He was a nice guy. Yeah, it was him. Seemed like a great guy. Is he in college now? I don't know where he's at. Atlanta Falcons. Okay. Went back to Missouri for a year. Yeah, good dude. Um, So, yeah, those are the four picks. Again, that's up kind of an article form up on our website as well. But always enjoy that. Chris, you know, very grateful for the time he gives us. Just nice to get a little bit more of yeah. a clear picture on the reasoning behind it and see why. All four of them were ranked in the second round. I believe that's what Ballard said okay. as well. So I think would have been comfortable taking all of them at some point in round two, and I think that's why you saw the emotions on the With the Next Pick series and yeah. all of that, of uh, why they were so giddy. I loved uh, – I can't remember which pick it was. And, again, you can go to YouTube and, and watch the the Next Pick series, which I'm sure if people are listening to this podcast, they've already seen it. But I love that Ballard's like, this one's mine, and just walks to the board and takes the magnet, and is like <laughs> – Was that Woods? It might have been. Yeah, I think it, was it was like, yep, this one's mine. I'm taking this pick. <laughs> that was him kind of sweating it out, you know, right. you know with, with, with the Woods thing. So, um, yeah, 
I did. I did like. I mean, hell, it's gonna be nerve wracking in there, man. You got to be wanting to trade up and you know all that good stuff. And yeah, and the whole we're not done yet. Yeah, <laughs> like no, they're no, celebrating no. the one pick. He's like, we're not done. Which again, I thought they were done. <laughs> I thought they were done, just given how he typically operates in the draft. But that is the love for Nick Crosshair. So rookie minicamp this weekend. Uh, those rookies now mixed in with the vets for the rest of the off-season off-season program. Like I said earlier, they'll hang around for an extra week mm-hmm. in mid-June and. The undrafted class, maybe we can get into a little bit more on next week's podcast, but um, I think there are some intriguing names in there. Certainly a much bigger group than last year, probably three times the size. So maybe we touch on that next week. Uh, real quick before we jump to that, because I had a question, and I guess I could have yeah. I, I Googled it, but you are sometimes my NFL Wikipedia. Um, practice squads, are those still expanded? It's a good question. I believe so. I don't think we've got an official, official word okay. on that yet, but I think feel like the NFL enjoyed that and I mean I'd like to think and not to get into a COVID rant I'd like to think that we're to the point now where it's just like all right you've got COVID you know see how well you can you can play or not you know are you healthy enough I mean you know there's been Colts players that I mean Danico Autry got knocked out with COVID for a couple weeks and you know there's been other guys that I think you know certainly could have played that very next day so you know I, I just hope the NFL gets to the point now where it's like all right you live with it you play with it if you can. If not, you're gonna miss you know a little bit of time. So I don't know if that would impact how you handle the practice squads, but the more the merrier. Yeah, I'm good with it. Was it 16? Was that the number? It jumped to 16. Yeah. 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 That that'll be something to keep an eye on because we know the Colts have used that practice squad a whole lot. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a good question. All right, let's jump into Twitter questions from our listeners around the world, and like I I enjoy I I. <laughs> I, I enjoyed some of the banter that I got from my Australian accent. Appreciate you I guys. I think people were raving about it, right? <laughs> it was just fun. I mean, it, it's it nice to beautiful. It's nice to have, and we have like, for instance, Tanner who has a question here on question three. It's nice when people start to reach back out. You can feel the the football juices are flowing, and, yeah. and we're ready to get back it's into a the beautiful season. community here. Yes, Kevin's corner. First one's from Logan. Since we drafted two tight ends, as we mentioned, Jelani Woods, one of them. And we have two tight ends on the roster. Does one get cut? If so, who do you think the one who gets cut is? Uh, Logan loves a podcast and says, keep on hustling, KB. Keep hustling. Keep grinding. Stay grinding. Hashtag. Thank you, <laughs> Logan. Appreciate that. Um, Boy, I mean, you know, when Jelani Woods was drafted and then Ogletree, Drew Ogletree was drafted in the sixth round, people were like, red flag for Kylan Granson. I, I I don't see it. I Maybe a, a yellowish flag, but I don't even think that. Like, Granson is a different body type than those other guys. You can put Ogletree on the practice squad, man. You know, let, let like he's a perfect practice squad, right. six round pick. Throw him on there to develop, etc. So I really think Logan, it's going to be Mo Ali, and it's going to be Kylan Granson, it's going to be Jelani Woods, and I don't think there's a whole lot of debate. Now, I don't know. Maybe you've got room for a fourth tight end. To me, it seems a little bit of a luxury. Uh, we'll see how things play out with training camp and whatnot, but uh, yeah. Next one's from Colton. He's concerned with the lack of depth at guard, center, defensive line, and linebacker. Says obviously injuries happen every year, and we can derail and can derail a team, but feels that it could be very ugly. He finds the defensive end interesting. Ben Banigou is only a true defensive end, and we have Quiddy Pay and Yannick Ngakwe. He would much rather assign three or four quality bench players to give us more depth instead of signing James Bradbury or another big name on the market. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think Bradbury is in play. Did we get a question specifically about him? Yes. Okay, I'll hold off on anything more than that. Okay. Um, Yeah, I, I would agree 
where he's looking a little bit um, in terms of the depth questions. I would say depth at edge rusher, you know, to your point, uh, you know, Banigou, the only true defensive end, you know, Dio Dangbo, he's probably best suited as an interior rusher. You know, he can certainly help you out. Tyquan Lewis can help you out. Uh, but again, you know, what was the phrase? True defensive end. Mm-hmm. They probably aren't exactly that for you. So I do think that's something to monitor. Uh, certainly Cody Pay and, and Gakwe are going to play a whole lot for you. But um, I do think you are up to something there, Colt. I think in general, depth 6-7 on the O-line, you know, 6-7-8 uh, on the D-line. Very much up in the air entering camp. Mentioned Tanner earlier, coming back with a question. He's extremely extremely pleased with how Chris Ballard was able to maneuver throughout the draft, which we discussed a little bit earlier. Um, also, he's he genuinely thinks we made the right picks in the right rounds. Given the state of the AFC South, especially after the A.J. AJ Brown trade to Philadelphia, do you think this roster has enough juice to make some noise? And do you see any more mute, any more moves in the future? Well, that's a great question. I'll first throw this to you, Chris. Okay. Was it noise? Was that the phrase? Yes. Used? Mm-hmm. Describe that for me. What do you think Tanner means by noise? What is it? Is it multiple playoff wins? Is it get in the dance? Is it win a division? At this point, for me, noise is you win the division and we are one of the top four teams in the playoffs. Which which obviously you would be. But um Yeah. That's that's at that at this point that we've made noise in the past. I mean, last year you're making noise. Yeah, the year regular before, season noise. You're making yeah. noise. Noise to me is getting to the playoffs and winning a playoff game. Yeah. And and taking it to a brink of potentially going to the AFC championship game. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I think it's so critical for this franchise and the players to feel, you know, what it means to be in the postseason. Um, I know a lot of people bring up the Buffalo game and that playoff game. Chris, there was how many people in the stands for that game? You know, that's just it was still COVID. You know, it just it, it isn't the, the the usual playoff intensity. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you are Taylor and Pittman and, you know, to a lesser extent, Nelson and Leonard, who experienced it in their rookie years, you some of these core guys, they haven't really felt the playoff atmospheres, intensities that that come with it. You guys heard me say this time and time again. Peyton Manning era didn't fall out of bed and make Super Bowl runs. It mm. was a process, playoff experience process with more lows than highs to get to that level. That's typically how it is for most teams. Um, you know, as far as noise, I saw some you know, gambling site the other day. I want to say they had the Colts as the – I think it was the fifth most likely team to make the playoffs in the NFL. Which I thought was interesting. And then I thought about it more and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. They play in a very easy division. Like, Mm -hmm. If I was going to say to you, Chris, right now, more likely to be the number one overall seed in the AFC, Chiefs or Colts. The initial thought would probably be Chiefs. But then you think about it and you're like, wait. The AFC West is going to beat the hell out of each other. You're right. Did I see the stat? The Chiefs are the first team in NFL history to have eight straight games to start a season against teams with winning records from last year. I didn't see that. I they... mean, just brutal. You know, <laughs> we, we obviously thought saw the Colts schedule last year right. and the one and four start with how difficult those five games are. And now the Chiefs add a few more onto it. So what I'm getting at is if you rank the AFC teams one to 16, 
I don't put the Colts in the top five. But when you rank them factoring in their divisions, you know, I've made this analogy before on a morning show. The Colts play in the Big 12 and they're Oklahoma State. And the beauty of it is Oklahoma State was a play away from making the playoffs last right. year. If the Colts are in the SEC, they would be Ole Miss or I'd say Auburn. Auburn's kind of falling off a cliff here, but you know what I'm getting Not at. Tennessee. The, 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 yes. <laughs> sorry. That, that eight-win you know, SEC team that just – yeah, you know, they might pull off the one upset over LSU or Alabama or something State, like, like that. yeah, yeah someone sure. that, yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I, I, to your question, Tanner, if you have a home game in the playoffs, you better be capable of making noise. And I do think the Colts have a great chance of getting a home game in the playoffs. Love but it. in terms of last couple standing, I, I, I still need to see that all play out. All right, we got three more. This next one's from Thomas. He loves the podcast, Kevin. Does not miss a single episode, so thank you, Thomas, for that. How does Ben Banigou continue to hold on to a roster spot is his main question. Doesn't seem like he can even dress as a third-year player, and he's uh, he says he just hasn't shown anything. He does not trust him to be his backup or Leo or anything else of the matter. Yeah, this is, again, kind of a popular thing. I thought, you know, was there a chance you could trade Banigou on draft day? Granted, mm-hmm. Who would want him, I guess. A uh, couple things. Pass rush is coveted. And let's go back to what I said earlier. What does Gus Bradley see? You know, Banigou, there was a TCU defensive end. I'm not mistaken. LJ Collier that went to Seattle. I think the same draft as Banigou. Um, there are some skill set things that you're like, all right, he fits kind of what we look for. Um, he's also really cheap. I mean, the same reason why Paris Campbell's still here. I mean, you look at the 15 games that Paris Campbell's played in the NFL, it's pretty nondescript. So... Um, I'm not overly concerned about why Banigou's still here. The roster's at 90. Look at him in the face and say this. All right, new defensive coordinator. First time in your career that you've had that. Here's Ngakwe, proven guy. Can he, you know, light a fire under your ass? Something like that. You know, I, I, I'm i good with giving him one more chance. I, I agree with Ballard's thought process at times where sometimes it takes pass rushers a while. You know, to a degree, injuries played into it. But, you know, Ture last year, five and a half sacks in the contract year. Mm-hmm. I think he'd go to San Francisco and have seven or eight this year. Um, so, yeah, what does Bradley see? Not a lot of money. I mean, I'd be willing to bet if you cut Banigo, you'd save like one and a half million. I, you know, not, not too much. There. Right. So, but he's got to earn it. He certainly has to earn it because last year he was super expendable. Yeah. On the roster, it was a healthy scratch. A lot. We teased it a little bit earlier. This next question comes from Latrell. If we sign James Bradbury, wouldn't that mean less time for Kenny Moore on the field? Yeah, I don't know. First off, I don't think so. I think Kenny Moore is a guy you just don't take off the field. He's an outside corner when you need an outside corner. And if Bradbury and Gilmore are that, um, I think he would play in slot. Again, is Gilmore a 100-snap guy anymore? 100's a little bit too much. You know, 80 snap, 70 snap guy. I He wasn't last year in Carolina, so I think right. that's still a question you have to ask yourself. Um, I, I don't think Bradbury meets kind of the Colts running threshold in terms of 40, things like that. And, mm. you, you know, I think I hit on this last week. You know, you, you're paying Kenny more multi-year money. You're paying Gilmore multi-year money. You're going to pay another corner multi-year money there. Um, so I think that is something to acknowledge as well. 
Kevin, the last one comes from Drew. It's a fun one, and um, since we are in the summer and a lot of you guys will be on vacation, and I'll just use this uh, term, analogy, because you'll be out at the beach and whatever, a tide's turning. We're going to go from a lot of Andrew Luck questions that are now going to be pushed away. New tide coming in is going to be Arch Manning, and Drew wants to know if the Colts traded back every single year until Arch comes out, would you have a problem with that? <laughs> Give that to me one more time. <laughs> if the Colts traded back every single year until Arch Manning comes out in the draft, would you Cap. have a problem with that? <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, these are the questions we're, we're about going to get, right? Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. It's turning of the tide. <laughs> Chap looked at us on Saturday of the draft. He's like, should I tweet it out about Arch? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, 100%. I, I, you know, you just you got to love Twitter. Twitter's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, he tweets it out. Sure enough, I checked it a few days later. He got like a thousand likes. Something right. about Arch Manning. I'm like, oh my god, I love it. <laughs> so what's Arch? He's going to be a high school senior. He'll be a senior this year. Yes. If Arch's last name was Bowen, where would he be ranked? Like, is Arch really, really, really good, or is he Arch Manning? From what you know, I've like, seen, like, is Charlie Woods the best 12 year old golfer in the world, <laughs> or is it if his last name was Charlie? I was going to say Mickelson. Probably not a good time for Phil, though. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. No, I I truly do believe, and I know, and, and I think, me personally, with that weight that he's carried on his shoulders, being a quarterback, same high school, knowing that he's going to be compared to, you know, his uncles and his father. Right. And also being a multi-sport athlete, he's carried it very well. And his physique and his arm – Right now, they they would meet my standards. Like he's go and with the NIL money, I mean, Arch Manning might not even have to play in the NFL. He's going to go get a paycheck in college, and he'll be good to go. So Drew wants to trade back every draft until Arch comes out. I mean, you could have all the draft capital in the world, but if Arch Manning turns out to be whatever Peyton Manning, 2. they're not 0, giving that pick up. I don't think the number one overall pick is giving that up. Right. Um, no matter who they have. You know, the whole quarterback thing, Colts-wise, it, it's just kind of fascinating how it all unfolded this offseason to where you are at that point. To your question, Drew, I, I, I would have an issue for that. Can you imagine saying that to your team? Yeah, we're going to trade back every year. You know, Quentin Nelson's like, dude, I'm not even going to be here right. when, when Arch Manning is playing here. Um, the whole dilemma, did the Colts get lucky with Matt Ryan? Sure. I also think the old phrase of you create your own luck. I think the Colts did create, they put themselves in a position. Now, some of this is their own doing, AKA not having a long-term quarterback, but financially they were in a position to where they could absorb a Matt Ryan contract. Yes. And Frank Reich has a dynamic around the league. We can debate Frank Reich quarterback whisper and all that, but clearly he has a dynamic around the league that guys, I think want to play for him that are quarterbacks. Um, so I think that played into the Matt Ryan thing. And basically how I, I never thought the Colts were in on Jimmy G, and I think that's true. I think the shoulder scares the hell out of them. Baker, <laughs> you know, if you heard the Colts talk about Carson Wentz, you imagine Baker. Um, basically, I think, and it was told, this is kind of how it, it, it operated. They looked at those QBs this year. Mariota, Winston, Trubisky, Dalton, whoever else I'm missing, throw into that group. And basically it was like, we can't win a division or a Super Bowl with any of those dudes. So why jump on one now, sit it out, wait, and hope? How many times in January, February, March, Chris, did I say pray for dominoes? Right. Pray for them. 
Rodgers, Wilson, Watson. Rodgers domino didn't lead to your answer. Wilson domino didn't lead to your answer. But the Watson domino did. And I do think the Colts had interest in Watson. Now, would they have traded him within the division? Would the Ursay family have signed off? That remains to be seen. Correct. But just throw that in there. Um, and lastly, they, they, again, we're going to be super patient, uber patient with it. And sure enough, it's a little bit of luck. You also put yourself in a position where Matt Ryan, I don't think, is wanting to go to every single place in the NFL. And that is why um, you're able to end up with him and Washington continues. I mean, you imagine what Washington's brass must think. Like, you got Matt Ryan for that price, and we had to give you Carson Wentz for that price. <laughs> I don't think a lot Robert of Robert Rivera has to be irate. I don't think a lot of their brass is going to be there much longer. Well, that's <laughs> probably a good thing. And, and maybe at top down, honestly. Yeah, and that's exactly. The, t- the top is where it starts. All right, that was Twitter questions. Anything on the rest of the week or anything you want the listeners to know on 1075thefan.com that they can look for? You know, we had a question from a fan on our morning show about T.Y. Hilton, Nick Foles, do they have room to do all of that? You know, Yes, they, they do. It would be tight. I don't expect anything imminent on, on any of that stuff. I think Hilton's still in play. Okay. I don't think Julio's as much in play. I know it's kind of been a debate here locally. I think Nick Foles. You've got to remember, Nick Foles has Frank Reich history. He's also got a little bit of Ballard history. You know, Foles had that cup of coffee Correct. in Kansas City there. Um, you could make both work. So I think they'll let the wideouts play out. They'll let Ellinger get a chance to get some reps in the offseason. And see how those things go, but uh, they got something just to watch. Maybe more July, but um, the Colts do have room. Wouldn't Not a that, ton of room. Wouldn't that be a fun quarterback room? They got room. Folds lo- looking at Matt Ryan like, yeah, twenty-eight to three. I beat Tom Brady. Oh, shit. <laughs> Jeez, God, yeah. yeah, Ryan might be like, yeah, about that. <laughs> we don't, we don't need that guy in here. Um, all right, man. Uh, let, let, that wraps it up. He is Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy the month of May. Weather looks beautiful here in Indianapolis. Hopefully it continues that way through the race. We'll talk to you next week, maybe a little bit later in the week now that I think about it out loud, depending on if we see the first OTA session. So just FYI for anybody out there. Uh, but, yeah, everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening to Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.